Want to learn how to be a master of business without going back to school? Listen to the Planet Money MBA. No suits, no PowerPoints, just the secrets of business school delivered straight to your ears. Every Wednesday till Labor Day on Planet Money from NPR. My name is Julie Schumacher, and my book is called The English Experience. The fictional college professor, Jason Ficker, has been the subject of Julie Schumacher's two previous novels, Dear Committee Members and The Shakespeare Requirement. And now in her new novel, The English Experience, we follow Professor Ficker as he leads a student study abroad trip to England, a trip he does not want to take. I recently spoke with Julie Schumacher about character development throughout her multiple novels and a travel abroad experience, and how her own work as a professor at the University of Minnesota compares to her character. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. So can you give our listeners an overview of the English experience and, and perhaps an introduction to Jay Fitger? Sure. Uh, this book, The English Experience, is the third in a trilogy of academic satires. I never began the first of the three, Dear Committee Members, with the idea that it would become a trilogy, but that's that's where it landed. That's where it's ending up. My main character in all three books is called Jason Fitger. He is a professor of English at Payne, P-A-Y-N-E University, somewhere in the Midwest. And in this most recent volume, he has been tasked with taking a group of undergraduates to England, to London mostly. And London is not a place, England is not a place that he enjoys. He has lousy memories of having been there years ago with his then wife, Janet. And he remembers of that trip, not much more than the fact that it was raining and that they had some poorly timed sex in a hotel room. (laughs) So he's not eager to get going on this trip, but the provost at Payne University has basically strong-armed him into it, telling him that his department may never see any support from her office unless he agrees to go. This is a, a trip at the last minute because someone who was supposed to lead the group abroad canceled. So he's he's got to leave within about two weeks notice of getting this assignment. And the students that he brings with him are an eccentric or unusual bunch. So like the first two books in the story of Professor Ficker, the English experience uses humor to capture some telling truths about higher education. Dear committee members gave us a collection of bureaucratic paperwork. The Shakespeare requirement showed us the circus that is an administrative demand for the department's statement of vision. And now your new book explores a chaotic and poorly managed study abroad experience. And some readers may find this all to be you know, exaggerated satire, but we live in a time where West Virginia's university administration just proposed cutting of all of its foreign language departments and replacing them with an app. So do you think the story of Jay Ficker has a place in our culture's debate about higher education and, and why is now a good time for the English experience? I do think it has a place. It's clearly a work of fiction. It is exaggerated, as you say. You know, my own students are not <laughs> as hapless and eccentric as the students in the novel. And Fitger, I hope, is not me. But the things that he stands for 
are things that I feel very strongly about, you know, education in the arts and humanities at a time when education is being cut, students are in debt, you know, arts education is particularly in danger, not just at the university level, but in K through 12, you know, music programs, the first to be cut, language programs, the first to be cut, any kind of arts instruction becomes a sort of um, a thing that people find to be a luxury rather than something that I think everyone in the world <laughs> deserves to have and, and needs. So I like to use Ficker as a way of saying, you know, these things, these things really matter. This is an absurd sort of incarnation of the things that I care about, but there they are. He's, he's championing them in a way that I don't always feel quite empowered to do myself. So when we first meet Jay Fickards and Dear Committee members, and we learn about him entirely through the many letters of recommendation he writes, and in this novel he struggles to write just one such letter, what are some of the ways in which you see Ficker growing or changing as a character, even though he may not recognize it? Yeah, that's interesting. I... um. There are a couple of early reviews that talked about the change in Ficker over time, over these over these three books. And and I, I read those and I think, well, that's that's interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way. The core of him remains, I think. And over each of the novels, I think he he begins as more of a curmudgeon than he probably ends up to be. Things soften him over time his his default is curmudgeon but he yeah he in this instance in the english experience in london he's thrown into a situation that he really does not want to be in he objects to it and when the students end up spending time with him writing essays that he requires them to write he begins to see them as people and not as some burden that has been thrust on him. I think that's something that is common to a lot of people, myself included, in, in various circumstances. You think, oh, I don't want to do this this thing that I have been told I need to do. But once you do it, you think, actually, that was important. That mattered to me. Um, it's a good thing I was I was here. You know, you described the students as hapless. And I, in one of my questions, I have, I'm describing Jay as hapless because in Dear Committee Members, he does seem hapless, like accidentally emailing the entire staff, a very private (laughs) subject. And then in the English experience, he still does seem a bit hapless. You know, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of the screwdriver or what happens at the Roman baths. But he does seem to genuinely, he seems as though he genuinely cares for his students. And I didn't know if this was entirely dependent on perspective because before we were only in his head but yeah. now it's it, is it because we're just seeing it from the outside or do you think he has evolved well i think in in dear committee members i focused almost entirely in the letters that he's writing on his relationships with other faculty he is writing letters for his students but you don't see him directly interact with them they are off stage so it's very much a fitker focused novel. The second one, The Shakespeare Requirement, focuses more on, again, faculty and administration in higher ed. There's one student that Fitker becomes very fond of. 
in the English experience, I wanted to move much more toward that student-centeredness. I mean, so much of what we do in higher ed involves students. Um, and I hadn't really dealt with them very extensively in the first two books. So I thought, okay, time to turn to their, to their point of view. Also, I had been teaching, um, I devised a travel writing class at the University of Minnesota where I teach. And I've been taking undergrads to Spain for the past few years over spring break. And every time I, I would get to the airport and meet my group of students, I would think, oh, man, what would Jason Ficker think of this? <laughs> <laughs> it was irresistible. Um, I just ended up in his head once again, even though I hadn't intended to write, again, three books about this same person. You know, even though your books are satirical, you do not shy away from heavy topics. I, I found myself tearing up with every one of your books so far. So is it difficult to juggle the two extremes or does, does humor help with the serious? I think humor definitely helps with the seriousness. And, you know, you think of when you think of, oh, it's a comic novel. A lot of times you imagine oh, it's, it's a comic book. It's just something uh, that a person would entirely laugh about. But even if you go here, let's say stand up comics, some of them deal with painful, difficult material. They might talk about their marriages, their breakups, struggles that they have had, and they poke fun at them. And in the same way, I see humor and difficulty and stress, loss, you know, all the things that are challenges in our lives, they're all intertwined. I don't think you can have humor without <laughs> dealing with real life issues. When I won the Thurber Prize for Dear Committee Members, I remember thinking, I think it's kind of a sad book. To me, that's it's a book with a real sadness in it, a disappointment for Fitger and great sadness for one of his students. In, in each of these books, yeah, there are difficulties. Higher ed is full of stress for the people who work in it and the students who pass through it. You know, it's it's a pressure cooker environment often. So to simply write silliness without weight, I thought was not remotely possible. One of the most interesting aspects of Jay as a character is his complicated relationship with his ex-wife, Janet. Talk to me about Janet's role in the English experience and why she remains such a central character, even though Jay is an ocean away. <laughs> yeah, I find her to be a really durable force to uh, withstand Fitker. She's divorced from him. They've been divorced for years, but they're still involved because I think he exerts a certain pull on her. She's prickly. She's a difficult person also. Neither of them are people that you would necessarily choose first out of a lineup to go enjoy a cup of coffee with, but she's a good foil for him. She doesn't just roll over and let him bully her. He can be, you know, obstreperous, cantankerous, and, um, you know, a bit of a bully at times. And that will not stand with Janet. She will not tolerate that. So he needs somebody occasionally to both check on him on the one hand and try to push him back into line on the other. Janet can do both. Um, she's been <laughs> a fun and a very useful character for me in that way. I needed her to hang around for the third book. 
So getting to read the students' assignments in this novel was such a treat, but I imagine it was also <laughs> quite a narrative puzzle for you. What was your method or approach to giving voice to these students, either in terms of how the characters write or whose projects we see when? That was a puzzle. It was definitely a puzzle for me. I thought when starting this book, well, I'll just have Fitker take a group to England and their assignments will be interspersed in. And that will be kind of fun to have bits of student writing interspersed with whatever his experience during that that three-week term might be. Then I quickly realized it was going to be hard to portray all those people and do it in a way that was persuasive. And I started out initially, I think, with um, about 15 undergrads that he takes with him. I thought (laughs) maybe a few months in, this is too many people. I I was getting (laughs) confused myself. I thought, which student said this? Which student did that? So I started to cut back, cut back on their numbers. I turned two of them into identical twins (laughs) to sort of simplify and reduce the number. One of the students also tends to just take off for various places in Europe on his own without any permission or or leave. And that allowed me again to have a character who was accounted for among the numbers <laughs> that he would plausibly take with him. But I didn't have to portray that person, DB. It's still though, even with, I ended up with 11 undergrads, 10 if you count <laughs> DB, who's always off in Europe, and nine if you count the identical twins. That's kind of a one, which they they seem to be at times, it still was a good number. I realized in their letters, I have to somehow portray change over time. To me, a lot of works of fiction, they need to do that. They need to portray change over time in their characters. Otherwise, you don't really have much of a, a plot or a sense of evolution. So from beginning by thinking, well, I just have to show what Fitger's experience is, and I realized, no, I've got all these other people and I have to show how they change over time. That's part of the issue, I think, too, with going abroad as an undergraduate. It's supposed to be an experience that changes you. I had traveled abroad myself as an undergrad and it was wonderful. It was eye-opening in all the best ways that can exist for a person at 19 years old or so. But I needed to demonstrate that in this book. And that that was definitely a puzzle. It took me a while. I had charts and graphs and arrows and color-coded <laughs> sheets of paper for the students to um, sort them out in my head. Well, you know, the students' work really does show us that perhaps Payne University should have made its study abroad title plural rather than one English experience. We see many experiences. And each of these students, with the exception of DB, they seem to need this study abroad trip in some way. So you've already touched on why it was important for us to see it from their perspective. But how how do you think that helped Jay Ficker to see their growth? Well, he's seeing himself from a different perspective, spending that kind of time with his students, which is very different from spending, you know, an hour on a Wednesday and an hour on a Friday with your undergraduates to be with them 24-7 for three weeks, impresses on him his own age, his stage at life. He keeps wondering over how young they are and trying to remember in a way what, what what was it like to be that age? I I can hardly think about it anymore. What is it like to be 
19 years old today rather than X number of years ago when he was undergoing similar thoughts, experiences, first encounter with X or with Y. And that's part of what softens his character, I think. He starts to think about the span of his life because he is spending so much time with these people who are so much younger than he is, people who are depending on him in ways that initially pissed him off. <laughs> but now he realizes, no, he is the one that they're going to rely on for good or for ill, and maybe he had best step up his game. So you mentioned that this is a trilogy, so we will not see any more of Jay? I think I need to let him go. I, I'm sad to say that I think about it as a kind of literary divorce. I've been with him for so long. I've been thinking of this character for about a dozen years now, but I don't want him to wear out his welcome. I don't want readers to be tired of him. I can always imagine, because I'm still working in academe, I can always imagine other things that he might do or experience or think about, but I, I think it's time to let him go. You know, going back to, you know, yes, you are a professor. You probably have some of the same experiences that Jay has. You talk about how you could probably resurrect Jay again. I'm wondering how much of of Julie Schumacher is in Jay Ficker? (laughs) Well, you notice his name is Jay, which is my (laughs) initial. There is that. These sorts of things creep into your consciousness and you don't see them at first when you're writing. I look at the book later and I think, Oh, yeah, that's my initial. How did that happen? He's a part of me, definitely. I I think uh, I wouldn't want to be Jay Fitker. I wouldn't write the letters that he writes in Dear Committee Members. (laughs) But sometimes those thoughts do come into my head, thoughts that arise during a moment when you're frustrated and you think, well, I would never say that. That would be terrible. But Jay could say them. You know, I invented (laughs) this evil alter ego for myself who could (laughs) say these things that I would immediately squelch for fear of being a jerk or hurting somebody's feelings or being inappropriate, whatever it would be. But to make a person who can do that for you is really cathartic, I have to say. (laughs) Are you ever able to say no to a request for a letter of recommendation? (laughs) (laughs) I have occasionally said no. I always make a point of telling students, here's how you ask for a letter of reference. You say, quote, would you be comfortable writing a letter of reference for me, unquote? Because that allows the person to say, you know, I think you've got a C in my class and maybe you'd be better off asking someone else. That's a no. You don't want that person to write you a letter. (laughs) I have been occasionally uh, in conversations with students when they'll ask me for a letter and I'll say, you know, it was a long time ago. You didn't major in English or study much that was in creative writing. Is there someone else that might be more familiar with your work, et cetera? And once or twice people have said to me, I just need a letter. I don't (laughs) think it matters. And I think, oh, that's just really the wrong way to go about this. Um, but there's a, there's a sort of mania for letter writing and evaluation necessary, mostly, in higher ed. You know, people are always ranking and evaluating each other, writing letters for other faculty for promotion or for tenure or for an award, and the same thing for undergrad. So we are constantly, constantly 
writing references for one another. And I do sometimes worry <laughs> that people aren't necessarily reading all these letters, especially not very carefully, that there are a lot of letters being written that are just <laughs> going straight into the uh, computer trash. I keep focusing on these three Jay Ficker novels, but you have written other books. So do you have something planned? Do you have another project you're working on right now? I'm just scratching on different pages in different notebooks right now and trying to figure out what's next. Because again, I've spent so many years on Jay Fitker that um, it's a real transition to move on from him. But I've, I feel like I've reinvented myself as a writer several times. My first book was a novel. Uh, my second was a collection of short stories. And after that, having gotten a bit stuck writing uh, a project that never saw the light of day, I, I turned to writing for young adults. I wrote five novels for younger readers, which was terrific. Um, so I like the idea of moving from one form, one genre to another. I have one more question, but I'm going to ask one of our producers to ask it because Katie Lanning is a is an associate professor of English at Wichita State, and she just joined our crew a few months ago. And when I saw this book was coming out, she just took a group of students to England. It, it was in oh, May, is that right? So I said, oh, Katie, you have to write, read this book. And she had already read your other two. So go ahead, Katie. Uh, first of all, it's very exciting to meet you. I love your books. I wish I was an associate professor. But my question is, without giving too much away, one of those student assignments imagines a scene in Westminster Abbey that was so hysterical to me uh, that I would love to read the full-length version. Is there any chance that Elwyn is going to expand that project? Oh, that's interesting. It was longer. Actually, there was, um, you know, in the process of writing and revising the book, initially, um, after a, a moment of crisis that Fitker experiences, I interrupted the entire book and had each student's final project printed. They were long. They were five to seven pages each. And the editor said to me, you know what? This is too much student writing. <laughs> I don't personally want to read this much student writing all in one go. So I cut and clipped and interspersed. Uh, Edwin's, as well as other students' essays, were originally longer. So there is an earlier, fuller version of that. I don't know if you want to see it, but... Uh... What grade did Elwin get? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> well, the book is The English Experience. Julie Schumacher, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That was Julie Schumacher, author of the book, The English Experience, which was published by Doubleday. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producers are Haley Krausen and Katie Lanning, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Goulet.